What fun it is to praise our great God, huh? Revelation chapter 2. So were you shocked when you heard you were 35? (laughs) Some of you are saying, well, don't rush me. Some of you are saying, oh, to be 35 again. (laughs) And some of you are saying, I can't remember when I was 35. (laughs) That's all good. But just for a little bit of perspective in terms of uh, a church being 35, if you've been here from the beginning, it it probably seems like a a long time. Get on an airplane, go over to England, start walking through their churches that are hundreds of of years old, where there are believers buried, some of them in the walls, some of them in the floors, and yet sadly, if you go there on Sunday, many of them are virtually empty. And I was always sad when we, we made many trips to England and we saw many of those churches as people would take the, us to them, but you felt like you were going to a museum. And that's just about what they are. And it's not just England where that's the case. And so in perspective... Understand, uh, that need not be our future, but we're youngsters at 35. This is like a brand new building. If those buildings had something as young as 35 and anywhere, they'd say, this is the new part of the building here. And so... While we do have a a history and a wonderful history, it's good for us to put put ourselves into uh, the, the bigger picture, the bigger picture of of our world. We can go bigger than today. Let's we're going back. Last year on our anniversary, I started a a series that we'll just be hitting once a year uh, in Revelation of the seven churches. Should I live that long? (laughs) So we're on the the second one uh, this year. Back in Revelation 1, Verse 11, 
Jesus told the uh, uh, Apostle John to write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now, here's why that's important. Unlike, for instance, the, the letters uh, to Paul, or by Paul, that he would send sometimes to a particular church in a particular city, but there were also those that would, were written to be circulated, like Galatians. Uh, Galatia was a region, and so while it went to a specific church, it, uh, it would move around that region, and he would address things that were appropriate to that church and to that region. Well, here what we have is uh, uh, Jesus said, I, I want you to write this and send it to all seven churches. And by the way, they're very different letters. And they're to be read by all seven churches. And so, if you remember, uh, last year, uh, Ephesus, they were very much rebuked as a church. And yet that same message went to all of those churches, and then it went to all of the churches that followed them, including us. And so I'm, I'm still trying to find a commentator that, that agrees with this, but, uh, but one of my theories in, in terms of this is that it might be that not only does it apply really to all churches everywhere, but it also may reflect seasons in a church. A season where a church needs to be reminded of this or of that or of any of the seven messages. So let's trust that in God's providence, the message we have before us is what he has for us. Uh, we're we're going to read about Smyrna in just a moment. What do we know about that? First of all, unlike Ephesus, as I mentioned, Jesus does not rebuke them. In fact, he encourages them because of what they were going to be facing. Now, Smyrna was a, a, a city under Rome. Uh, if you're, if you, you are into geography, it would be modern-day Izmir in Turkey, which is a, a port city. When uh, our daughter and son-in-law lived in Turkey, they would sometimes go there uh, when they would have a few days off. So it's a, it's a wonderful city in our day even in Asia Minor. But in this day, it was also known for their athletic games. Think Olympic type games. So put that on a side burner because something he says is a slight reference to that. Let's see what uh, the message is for them. In Revelation chapter 2 beginning with verse 8 it says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. 
I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And of the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. So, Lord, will you make us those people that have an ear so that we can hear what the Spirit says to us as a church and as individuals? Will you give us those ears and hearts of faith You know us, Lord, inside and out. You know exactly what is in our mind and in our heart and what we need from you. And so, Lord, will you you show yourself to be among us today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the next few minutes, I want to give you five truths and two applications. Five truths that we see in this brief letter. Let's take a look, first of all, who the message is from, and and that leads us to the first truth because it is basically uh, an awesome description of Jesus. Now I want to take us back to last year just for this this one verse. Uh, In verse 1 it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now What we found out last year is that that was a description of of Jesus. Uh, The lampstands were the churches we saw earlier in the book. And so it's talking about Jesus walking among these churches. Here we see then a further description of him in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and last who died and came to life. The Alpha and the Omega. But his description, his identity, who he is, what they need to know about him, And, of course, being the the first and the last says basically he's everything. 
He was, he was there at the creation and before the creation, and he will, he will be there at the end when this world will be no more, but there will be a new world, and he will still be there. But here's what else you need to know about him, you Smyrnans. You need to know he died, but that's not all. It came back to life. What an awesome description. That's, that's the basis of, of what he's about to say. Remember who Jesus is. Because that's who you need. One who gets death but has overcome it. There's a next principle that there is a wealth that is greater than the poverty of this world. Verse 9. And I'm going to read you the whole verse and then we're just going to look at the first part for a moment. I know your tribulation and your poverty, um, but you're rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, he starts out by talking about their troubles and their, their poverty. And there are uh, many who think that their poverty, it was literal poverty, but it might have had to do with the faith, with the stand that they had taken for Christ. It was possible that uh, if, if they were merchants, that they wouldn't take part in some of the pagan rituals that the guilds of the other merchants and the craftsmen would require, these ungodly things, and they, it, they wouldn't take part, and it, it was kind of like a union. You know, the guild would do this, and because they couldn't take part because of their faith, then they couldn't trade with them, and it could have caused poverty for them. But right in the middle of that statement, he says, I know your tribulation, your poverty. In the English, they put parentheses here, and I think that's a good interpretation. But you are rich. So what, what he's saying is, is this. Even though the world you live in may think you're, just, you're at the bottom of the barrel of people, you're going to stay there. We will suppress and oppress you. He says, even though the world you're living in may say that to you, there's another kind of riches. And you've got that. This was, in all likelihood, the first time they were ever called rich. And maybe the first time they ever thought of themselves as being rich. And so, people of St. Andrews, some of you have plenty. Some of you are in need. But if you're in Christ, you are rich. This is what he's saying here. 
He says, so, and then he he didn't talk about their tribulation. It says, and the slander of those who say they are Jews uh, and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So the persecution they were having could have come from several places. It could have been the Romans themselves. That was probably the persecution came from all these places. But, but the one he points out is actually from the religious people. And I, I specifically using the term religious, not people of faith, but those who would say, yes, we're religious. In fact, we're Jews. And he says that they're not even really Jews because they're a part of the, he uses an oxymoron here. The synagogue of Satan. It's the only place I know that, of that, where that is used. And so it, here's what he's describing them as, these religious people. He's basically saying they're the ones out there that say, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I've, I've got my religion. It may not affect anything about my whole life but I've got my religion. And I don't know about you, maybe you've experienced this as well. There have been some times when, uh, especially when Connie and I were raising our four children, when we would have to take a stand, uh, you know, something that, well, you know, our children aren't gonna participate in that. Or they can't do it that day. Or, sorry, they, they can't be a part of that. All their friends are. All their peers are. Everybody is. And more than once, I've heard and it usually didn't come directly to me. It was, it was almost always secondhand. Got back to me. Well, we're Christians too, but we don't have a problem with that. Or, well, we're Christians too, but once you become a part of a team, that takes priority. It's hard. Some of you face that with your children. But it was interesting to me because we usually didn't hear any of that kind of thing from unbelievers. They weren't surprised when a Christian would take a stand or, or say, yeah, I don't, I don't think we can do this in good conscience. But the religious often had a problem with it. The Christians in Smyrna were getting troubled by the religious. There's a third principle here, and it, it might seem so obvious, but evidently it wasn't then, and in our day and age, I don't know that it is either. The third principle is there is a devil Verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. I already told you about 
uh, verse 9, where he mentions the synagogue of Satan. So he mentions Satan, and then he talks about, verse 10, he talks about the devil, how he's going to throw some of you into prison. Just this last Thursday in our uh, age 55-plus um, Bible study, which, by the way, I, we're so glad we lowered the age to 55-plus because... So many more people are willing to admit they're 55. It's growing by leaps and bounds. It's, it, it's great. But we, we, we talked about, uh, uh, we were in the context of the background of the book of James and how he's about to talk about suffering in James. And so we, we did a kind of a survey from the beginning to the end of scripture about about suffering and tribulation and so on. So, we, of course, we hit Job. And here's what we saw in Job. We saw the devil's role in what happened to Job. But here's what else we saw. Yes, the devil has a role, but it's never the definitive one because God is always sovereign. So we, always need, we need to always remember that. And that's the case here as well. Now, when it comes to Satan, when it comes to the devil, there are two serious errors that we can make in thinking about him and in dealing with him. One serious error we can make is if you see a demon around every corner and behind every bush and in charge of every bad thing, that happens. In other words, if we become obsessed with Satan and his demons, because that can take the focus off of God. I have even been around people, I don't think it's ever happened in this church, so don't, don't think back to when you prayed with me. Ooh, did I say that, you know? But, but I've, I've been around people, you, you, maybe you have as well, who uh, right smack in the middle of their prayer to God, they rebuked Satan. In other words, you know, they're talking to God and they say, and Satan, I rebuke you for this or for that or whatever. Now, think about that for a moment. And if you're in the habit of doing that, I want you to think about that because here's what's going on. You're talking to the sovereign God of the universe and right in the middle, you turn from him and you speak to Satan directly. Now, you wouldn't do that if you were talking to somebody after, well, some of you would, after worship, but... But if you did, you'd be rude, okay? And so, how do you deal with that? Well, I, I appreciate that they, they feel like Satan needs to be rebuked, but you know what? You don't need to be the one to rebuke him. Let God rebuke him. You can even ask God to rebuke Satan. That's okay. But don't, don't talk to Satan, Okay? That's just a good rule of thumb. You can, you, can, you, you can go to work tomorrow and say, here's what I learned at church. I shouldn't talk to Satan, okay? 
Okay, so, uh, you know, let God do the rebuking because what, what, what happens is it, it's taking the focus. You know, if, if, if your focus is on Satan, then it's not on God, the one who can do something about him. So that's the, that's the one danger. The other is not acknowledging that he exists or acting like he's not a danger. Acting like there is no Satan. Well, well, that's foolish as well. The Bible says that, that he is a, like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8 It's not wise to ignore something that is looking to devour you. So don't fall into either trap. But do acknowledge there is an evil one, but he's not going to win. That's the perspective. The fourth principle we see here, and before we talk about the troubles themselves, we need to note that tribulation is coming, and this was for the church in Smyrna, but remember, it's really for all, all the churches. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, this isn't anything new to say there is going to be trouble if you're a follower of Christ. Jesus was right up front with that. We heard it quoted earlier. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, for I've overcome the world. Now, right before that, he said that I'm saying these things to you so you can have peace. So here, here's, here's what we know. There's tribulation. You can have peace even though there is tribulation. And the reason you can have peace is because... Jesus has overcome this world that we are in. So here's the principle. Believers need to know in this world is tribulation. But, as it says here, it's temporary. It's got a beginning and an end. I think that's the idea of the, the ten days. Uh, again, commentators are all over the board and that's, that's very typical of uh, com, um, commentaries on the book of Revelation. But, but some say, yeah, it's literally 10 days they're going to have trouble. Some say 10 days stands for 10 years. Uh, some, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to get into that argument because it, it, to me, here's the principle and here's what we can know is... When he says 10 days, he's talking about a definite period of time. There's a beginning, there's an end, and it's temporary. It's not forever. But there's good news and another principle. Again, verse 10. There is a crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, here's where 
Uh, remember the athletic events uh, where in that day, the winner would get some kind of a, a, a crown or a wreath that would be put on their head like a crown. Here's what John is, is saying. Here's what's being communicated. You're all going to get it. You're going to go through tribulation. But if you're in Christ, you're all the winners ultimately. And you're going to receive that crown. Go back to Jesus' statement. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart, take courage. I have overcome the world. So here's the applications. The first one is, is, you know, right in the verse, verse 10. Do not fear for what you're about to suffer. So here's, you know, when I stand here and I say, we're going to have tribulation. And by the way, you can stand up in any pulpit in the world any Sunday, and you can say that, and it's going to be true for some of the people that are there. It could be true for a whole church. But, but, but here's what we need to know. And by the way, it, it would be unkind for me to tell you anything different. What kind of pastor would I be if I didn't warn you that some of you are going to have tribulation, some of you are in the middle of tribulation right now, and some of you are going to face it this year. Before we have our next anniversary, some of you are, are going to say, oh my, you'll have that groan, oh, I wish I didn't have to say that, but but here's what I want you to take away today from that. I don't want you to say, oh, great. Now I got one more thing to worry about. I don't want that hanging over you every day. When's my tribulation coming? I've had a good year so far. That's not the point. In fact, what, what he's saying is, Look, you've got tribulation coming, but don't fear. You don't need to fear, and here's why. Because you've got the Holy Spirit who is your comforter, and you've got the one who is the first and the last who's in control of all things. And then the worst thing that most people can think of is, is death. You've got the one who died but is alive again. So he says, you don't have to fear. You don't have to feel like that's hanging over you like a sword about to strike. But here's the other thing from this passage. What we will have is greater than whatever we will suffer in this life. What we will have is greater 
than whatever we have to suffer in this life. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by a second death. He doesn't speak about the first death. Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to face the first death. That's physical death. But we don't need to worry about that one because Jesus has conquered that for his children, for those trusting in him alone for eternal life. But here's what else. The second death is the judgment and the final destination. And, and so here's what he's saying to the church in Smyrna. Look, you don't need to fear because the, the worst thing would be if you didn't know what was going to hap happen at the second death. What's going to happen to me in judgment? And he says, if you're in Christ, you don't have to fear because it won't touch you. You won't be touched. You are more than a conqueror because of the one who is the first and the last who died and came to life. Thanks be to God. Let's bow. <clears throat> Indeed, Lord, will you if, if we came into this room today and, and we had a fear about what was to come, will you help us to know that in Jesus Christ there is comfort? Will you help us to know that whatever is going on in our life, whatever tribulation, whatever trouble, that we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, give us faith to believe. We pray it in his name. Amen.